When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last nine years, we've been meeting here every single week to break down the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we had fights in the morning over the weekend, and UFC 267 served up a lot of action. You got a new champion at light heavyweight, a new slash old interim champion at men's bantamweight, couple of prospects starting to solidify themselves as potential title contenders. And then you turn around and, oh, by the way, the UFC packs up the octagon from Abu Dhabi and heads to Madison Square Garden out there in New York City for UFC 268 this Saturday. Suffice to say, we got a lot to talk about. But first, perhaps the most important breaking news of the week. The CME is on Instagram, my man. Why don't you tell the people all about it? See, there's this application, a web application. You can get it on your phone, Chad. It's called mm-hmm. Instagram, sometimes also referred to as IG or the Gram. Okay. You following along so far? Is this brand new? Did this just come out, this web application? Newish, let's okay. say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, the CME has created a page, perhaps not soon enough, because... When we went to create the co-main event Instagram page, we found some people have beat us to some combinations of co-main event. And so it was either get a little more creative with the name or use a bunch of annoying like underscore space kind of things. I personally hate that. So you can find us over there on the gram at CME if you nasty, Hmm. all one word. The old school, the heads who've been riding with us for a long time. Well, remember that when this podcast first came out, we made it very clear that they could refer to it as the co-main event or the CME if you nasty. Yeah. Uh, so there's no way, no better way to declare just how nasty you in fact are than to hit that follow button on our Instagram page. You know, we have a good time over there. We keep it light. Nothing, nothing too heavy. We're still, and also I would, I would urge people to understand still a little bit of a work in progress, but Hey, if you have hilarious MMA memes and whatnot that you come across, uh, send them on over to us. And, uh, you know, we, we just we had ourselves a good time hanging out for UFC 267. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to check it out. I can't wait to check out Instagram. I, yeah. I'm excited See, now that I know about it. You're going to want to go to the app store. Okay. That's the yeah. first move. Where's that? Is that downtown somewhere? <laughs> it's, right, it's right over there by the, the, the Kinkos. Okay, uh, great. Yeah, the... One thing I know, I've heard you every once in a while when you're talking about fighters activity on Instagram and you will refer to it as Instagram.com, which mm-hmm. I'll tell you right there, you, you've outed yourself 
once you do that. It's not really meant to be a web, like a desktop computer-based interaction. And they make it very clear when you go to that that website that this isn't really how you're supposed to be doing it. Is it more of a blog blog site? <sighs> sure. Sure, Chad. It's more of a blog site. Is it, is it a sort of a MySpace kind of yeah. a thing? Think, think of it as a MySpace. Okay. And, uh, and really a cross between MySpace and Friendster. You're going to want to put together a, a list for me of your top six friends or whatever and really make sure that you're prepared for the fallout that comes with that when, when certain yeah. people get, you know, inevitably slighted. Well, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait to find it. CME if you nasty. Is that what it is? Is that where they can find us over on Instagram? That's where it is. Instagram.com. Amazing. Uh, we got music this week from our guy, CMEO, a.k.a. Co-Main Event Podcast listener, Alfred Larson. Been with us for a long time. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at SoundCloud.com slash That's S-E-E-M-I-O in CMEO. Per usual, three rounds this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Glover to Shira overcomes the legendary Polish power and the suicide rope to become, simply put, the greatest human being who has ever lived. And in round number two, can any men's bantamweight survive the Peter Yawn zombie apocalypse? And in round number three, for two times in two weeks, the UFC puts on a numbered event where the poster says two title fights. This weekend at UFC 268, it's Usman versus Covington 2 and Nama Yunus versus Zong 2. Too sweet? Too much? Should this have been round two? To be continued. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. Now, this first piece of listener mail comes to us from John over on Patreon. Okay. By the way... If you like the co-main event podcast, you like what you're hearing right now, you feel like you want more of it, we invite you cordially to join the team over yeah. patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are there all week doing podcasts pretty much every damn day at this point. We got the Wednesday live chat. We got the Thursday uh, brand new podcast doing the damn thing. We got the Friday power hour. Sometimes we got weekend fight parties, hangouts. You can come chill with us. There's a, a message board just for the patrons over there. Come hang out. Patreon.com slash co-main event. We got a patronage tier for every budget. And this email from John refers to our recurring segment over there on the Friday Power Hour. $20 we never want to see again, which is pretty self-explanatory, Ben. You and I take 20 bucks from the CME kitty. Every week, we put down some bets on the coming fights, if it's, if it's the UFC or it's Bellator. Uh, and the, the only rule is you just got to gotta bet the 20 bucks, and yep. then we, we let the chips fall where they may, and we reconnoiter the, the next week. We, we talk about how we did, and then we look ahead to the weekend's action for our upcoming bets. So bear that in mind as we dip into this email here from John, where the subject line is, I took your gambling advice, and look where it got me. Okay. Advice is not the word I would use. Yeah, we need to stop John right there. As no. Al Sarovarim might say, we got to correct him on a fact. Right. As we are 
pretty upfront about the idea that we do not want anyone else to follow our leads on these bets. This is like the opposite of gambling advice, whatever that may be, right? Except for when it works and then you're welcome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then you're an idiot if you didn't place the bets. Yeah. But most of the time we're out here letting everybody know this shit is for entertainment purposes only. Do not follow our leads. We are not good at it. And, you know, follow along at your own risk. Unless it works, in which case you're all very fucking welcome. You can thank the hybrid anti-system. Yep. So here's uh, John's email. He writes, so I was listening to your discourse about Chemayev having a rough time with that COVID and whether the long-term effects could be seen with him barely making weight. And I thought, these guys have made a compelling argument. And I will now add Li Jingliang to my accumulator. Then out comes Chamat Kamzat, bouncing around like he had his pre-fight espresso <laughs> injected straight into his veins, and suddenly your arguments seemed a little bit less compelling. <laughs> he says, three pounds I'll never see again. Betting, advi- betting advice aside, your shows are a great listen. Ah, uh, boy. Guilty okay. as charged on this one, right? Because, I mean, and let's say we're not the only ones out here, but we've been we've been looking forward to Kamzat Shemaev's return to the octagon for a while now because uh, during the first phase of his career, he was obviously a big favorite of the UFC. It seemed like they had a lot of uh, promotional power behind Kamzat Shemaev, kind of setting him up as perhaps the next big thing in this weight class. And then he gets covid and everything kind of goes haywire on him. He had a, a rough time with it. Uh, he was out for a long period of time. At one point, he made a feint toward retirement, said he was done. He would not return. We had to call in the, the Chechen dictator uh, to give him a pep talk to say, hey, man, you're carrying the, the hopes and dreams of the whole nation on your back. I really strongly advise you to reconsider this retirement. Kamzat Shemaev did all that. And so we were pointing at this at this fight against Li Jingliang, and we said, hey, you know what? If you show up for this thing not 100%, not ready to go, not in the best shape, the leech will expose you because that's the kind of dude that he is. And then, Ben, as you pointed out last week on comainevent.com, Chabayev goes out there, misses weight on the first attempt last week, and then shows back up to weigh in again and jukes the damn scale for five pounds. Yeah. By leaning on the towel, which, by the way, that's doing too much. Yeah. Don't take five pounds off the scale by leaning on the towel, Kamzat. Take one, one and a half pound off. You're mm-hmm. leaning too hard on the towel, buddy. So there was, we had concerns. And I think both of us took Li Jingliang at the plus money, the underdog money, headed in there into the fight against Kamzat Chemaev. And then that did not work out. No. Kamzat Chemaev wore Li Jing Liang around the cage like a goddamn button en route to choking him unconscious in the first round. Kamzat Chemaev is back, my friend, and it appears at this point the sentiment online is that Chemaev is the real deal, and maybe he's knocking on the door of a title opportunity. I don't know. Okay. A couple things about this. Well, I mean, I know it's easy with the benefit of hindsight <laughs> to go back and be like, this was a stupid bet that you guys put down. I mean, we acknowledged why Kamzat Shemaev went in there as a favorite, but we thought as underdog, or at least I thought as as underdogs on the card go, that Li Jingliang was going in there at pretty high underdog odds, and there was always a chance that maybe Shemaev in his first fight back after this lengthy COVID battle would not be as 
good as we have seen him in the past. Um, also, I'm just going to say it. I think it was stopped early. Okay. Yeah, you think they should have been allowed to continue? I think maybe if, had you uh, had you given Li Jingliang the chance to wake up? Yeah, uh, from if, the choke. If he and then maybe given, he could have afforded himself better. He might have come back to win. What you needed was uh, Vakashlav Kiselev or whatever that guy's mm-hmm. name was, the referee from the Easy Dos Santos fight. You needed that guy out there in this one. Then maybe maybe that fight would still be going even as we record this. I don't know. I just felt like in order to really test Chimaev, uh, the leech had to take him into the, the later rounds. And if if the ref had given him a chance, I think maybe he, he still does that. But yeah. it's fine. Early stoppage. That's okay. It's how it goes sometimes. I will point out that my hybrid system where I bet Amanda Rebus via decision, that paid out. So it's not that our betting advice is bad. It's that you just have to know which parts to ignore mm. and which parts to just go all fucking in on. Yeah. Isn't you know? that the whole game? Isn't mm-hmm. that the whole game of the gambling? I, I'm, I, as I sit here today on Monday and we record this show, I stand by the philosophy that led us to uh, the Li Jingliang bet. Have you, if you've ever been to a soccer game and uh, the offense puts together a good looking attempt and you get a nice cross in front of the goal. And then the guy kicks it and it goes off the side of his foot and he misses, misses the shot. People in the audience, they say, nice idea. Nice idea. Even though it didn't work out, this bet on Li Jingliang was a nice idea. I mean, nice idea. Chimaev really did go in there and wear him around like a button. Yeah, it was ugly. And then Chimaev gets on the... Well, he first of all, fucking carries him over across the octagon yeah. so he can speak to the UFC president uh, while he's got this guy elevated for the takedown uh, and then slams him down, climbs on his back, chokes him unconscious, effortlessly, really, let's just say, yeah. and then gets on the mic with Daniel Cormier in the post-fight. And you can see why Kamzat Chimaev has the makings of a potential star in mixed martial arts a nice little in the bubble star for the ufc especially if you're going to be going over to abu dhabi and uh highlighting the russian fighters on a on a frequent basis you can tell why kamzat chumayev would be a guy you'd want to have on the roster and have in a high profile position uh carrying your opponent over to the side of the cage so you can tell dana white not to be looking at his phone that he needs to be watching your fight don't look at phone that's some baller shit man that is some baller shit from Kamzat Chimaev. Well, and again, it's another one of these fights where he goes in and takes literally zero damage. Yeah. He changes levels and shoots on the first punch that uh, the leech threw and does not take a single blow really in this entire fight. I feel like that is honestly a blueprint for good career longevity in mixed martial arts. I don't know why people haven't thought of this before. Just go in there and win without even getting hit. Yeah. It's a pretty good idea. But it is, Mm -hmm. I mean, we talked about this as being like an interesting test for him, especially coming back off the COVID, and he absolutely blows the doors off Li Jingliang. So then what do you do now? Like everybody, I think it's weird because if if people say, oh, get this man a title shot soon, then people will be like, that's a little bit too much. I don't know if you beat Li Jingliang and go right into a title shot. But then when there are other sort of would-be mid-range welterweight contenders like Neil Magny like stepping up and being like, I'll fight that guy. People be like, no way, bro. You'll get trashed. And it's like, well, what do we want? Like either either the guy goes straight to the top spot 
or we go, okay, you pass this test, let's set you another test. I mean, I, I get it because he's passing these tests so easily that we want to see him tested by somebody else who can maybe, uh, you know, give him a little bit of a, a tougher fight. But we also seem like he, when he absolutely destroys people like that, it's tough to even know where that puts him. Is he the best who has ever done it? We don't know yet, you know, like, but people can kind of talk themselves into that. We've seen people get on that hype train before. And then as soon as a guy stumbles or loses one fight, then they'd be like, oh no, he was a flash in the pan anyway. Like, I, I do think you need some sort of middle stop between Li Jingliang and a title shot. But I can also see how the UFC looking around would be like, well, Kamaru Usman is already in reruns. Maybe it's not such a terrible idea. Yeah. Uh, Kamzat Chemaev is 27 years old. Here's some numbers for you. 23-0 in his freestyle wrestling career. Okay. 3-0 as a mixed martial arts amateur. Now 10-0 as a mixed martial arts professional. Never been to decision in his entire career. Now 4-0 in the UFC. All of them stoppages. The last two against Gerald Mearshart and Li Jingliang. Uh, who are themselves, you know, respectable opponents to defeat. And like you said, out here taking no damage, barely seeming to break a sweat, having conversations with Dana White uh, while you're doing it, and then getting on the mic with Daniel Cormier, who says, I'm here with Kamzat Chemaev, and he says, of course you're here with me. <laughs> we all knew you were going to be here with me the whole time. Uh, what you do next with Kamzat, I think, is interesting. He's making noise about Nate Diaz, and there has been some speculation about Nate Diaz trying to fight out his contract to hit the open market as a free agent. Uh, it would be a very, very, very UFC thing to do to try to make Nate Diaz take a fight with Kamzat Chemaev and just get obliterated in his final fight in the octagon before he becomes a free agent. If I'm Nate Diaz, obviously, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see where the chips fall here, I guess. Like, uh, I, I feel like kind of the sky's the limit, not only for Chemaev at this point, but also kind of in his next fight. Like you could tell me he was going to do absolutely anything. I would mark it on my calendar. I would want to watch it. And as long as it, it seems like something like a step forward, I would uh, I would be interested to see. And like, I wouldn't turn my nose up at, at Neil Magny or somebody like that, because that's a dude who keeps beating your prospects. If I was the UFC, I might think twice about it, but you know, that, that seems like a good next test for Kamzat Shemaev. And if he walked through Neil Magny the same way he walked through Li Jingliang, maybe then you start talking about a, a top contender fight, man. I don't I don't know. But the dude, uh, he silenced my doubts. Yeah. I'll say well, that. I mean, he seemed to think that the Nate Diaz possibility was a good idea. If, if I'm Nate Diaz and the UFC offers me that one, I would interpret them as saying, how soon do you really want out of this contract? Do you want out bad enough that you'll go ahead and take this fight, which might be an ass kicking for you, or are you willing to say no and have us extend your contract by six months uh, while you wait for a better offer? And I don't know. I If Nate Diaz really is thinking, hey, let me get out of this contract so I can go box a Paul brother or whatever, then I would think he would probably just say, yeah, sure. Give me that guy. I'll, I'll do what I can with it. And if you're talking about a Nate Diaz versus Jake Paul boxing match or something, don't you think that even if he went in there and took a beating and took a loss against uh, Kamzad, it, it wouldn't really change his value in that kind of a fight afterwards? Yeah, people are people are still going to want to watch any Diaz versus any Paul in a boxing fight on pay-per-view. Yeah. I think that 
sets the pay-per-view world on fire right there. Next question this week comes to us from Richie Cunningham over on Patreon. And you see, Ben, people can't even sign up for the Patreon under their real names. We are, got, you, are you suggesting got, that somebody is choosing the name of Ron Howard's character from Happy Days as a, as a nom de plume here? That's exactly what I'm suggesting. Okay. He writes, it's possible. Is the hangman in the process of trading his noose for a lasso, using the lumber from his gallows to build a fence for his livestock? In other words, <laughs> is Dan the Hangman Hooker trying to be the next action-fighting, overly active Donald the Cowboy Cerrone, and is this an advisable career path in the JSF era of MMA? Uh, I mean, I'm not, not quite worried about that with Dan Hooker at this point. He has fought three times in 2021 and and as we talked about at length a little bit more of a month turnaround here between his win over Nasrat Hakparast at UFC 266 and his loss on Saturday uh to Islam Mahachev at UFC 267 I don't think he's I don't think this is a a Cowboy Cerrone type career ambition for Dan Hooker I think that this one with Mahachev was just an opportunity that presented itself and we have heard a lot about the city kickboxing guys and the trouble that they have to have you know, getting in and out of New Zealand due to the that country's actual uh, serious COVID protocols coming to the United States uh, to fight. And I think Dan Hooker just thought, okay, here is a legitimate up-and-coming prospect that if I just decide to stick around in America for an extra month without having to go through the rigors of getting back home and then getting back here, I can fight him, I can make some more money, and if I win... I'm right back in the thick of it yeah. in what is a very, very competitive weight class where, frankly, being in the thick of it is impressive. It's a, And it's a hard thing to do. So for Dan Hooker, maybe it was a risk that he thought was worthwhile to take. I don't necessarily expect him to become the guy who will fight absolutely anybody in this weight class at the drop of a hat. Uh, I think this was just a... a you know, a, a one-time deal for Dan Hooker, a, a, a situation that presented himself that that he thought was was good to take. Obviously, you go out there against Mahachev and you get kind of smashed in two minutes and 25 seconds. You end up getting Kamurad in the first round at uh, UFC 267. And maybe, in as you said, hindsight, you start to think differently about this opportunity. But um, I think it was it was one for Dan Hooker that was probably worth worth taking this risk in this limited basis to to take this short notice fight and fight Islam Mahachev. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about uh hindsight and all that and us trying to determine the odds of victory for some of these underdogs, we also talked about this fight in our I believe you had it in a parlay, didn't mm-hmm. you? I had it in my uh my big swing. Yeah. My, my my grand slam home run swing, my all underdog parlay. And it, my thought was, well, at least we got it out of the way early because well, this was the first leg that I yeah. needed. Dan Hooker goes out there. It's not close. It's not competitive. There's never a moment where you're where you really thought the fight was in doubt. And uh, I got my parlay smashed fast. And I was like, at least at least I wasn't on the edge of my seat on the last fight yeah. hoping you know yes. waiting to see if it paid out at least it was immediately i was like oh no that one's dead that one's dead in the water well and you'll recall that once you when you were reading off this parlay you got as far as mentioning dan hooker and i said well you're fucked well you say that in all of my bets it's well not, i was right this time itself. though so that's why it's worth mentioning on monday but this one was always going to be a tough stylistic matchup for him. And especially when you don't have a full training camp to really prepare for what that guy brings. And you're going out there, you're throwing low kicks uh, against the guy who wants to take you down. And what do you know? Sure enough, he uses one of those, gets you down, and you're not able to get back up again. And 
I mean, I understand his thinking, which, like, as you said, you, you're having trouble. If you go home, you don't know when the next time you're going to be able to get back out and fight again is. He wanted, he had wanted this matchup before anyway. Uh, he thought, if I do win, first of all, everybody's going to give you all the, the tough guy attaboy points for being willing to step up and have these brass balls to even take the chance to begin with. And then if you do win, you are right back in there in the title talk. Plus, maybe the UFC makes it financially worth it for you when you're stepping up to help them out and, and plug a hole on the card. So I can understand all that stuff going in. But it also always felt like this was going to be a super tough fight for him. But then I I can understand why it's easier for us to look at it and be like, oh, I don't see how you win this one, Dan Hooker. If he is trying to be you know, right there in the top of the division, he has to tell himself that he can beat somebody like this that yeah. or that at least he has a chance to figure it out and go out there and do it. Otherwise, if you tell yourself like, Oh, here's one guy who I would like to avoid at all costs for the rest of my career. That's could be tough psychologically for you to talk yourself into thinking that you're going to be champ someday. So I get it. I, I also don't think that it's necessarily a sign that he's just going to say, fuck it. I'll fight whoever on whatever kind of notice, at least not yet. Um, but you do wonder what you take away from this one if you're Dan Hook. Do you do you go home thinking, well, this was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I should have just like taken my my lower level win, uh, gone home, planned for the next one, and thought a little more broadly, big picture. Or do you think like, hey, you know, I swung and I missed, but that's the way it goes. Yeah, if you're Dan Hooker, I'm I'm sure you're happy to have the extra payday. Frankly, you're probably going home. Uh, with a nice chunk of change in your pocket and Christmas is coming up here in a couple months and that's probably going to be nice to have the extra extra financial security for the for the foreseeable future at least in the in the short term if I was going to worry about anything if I was Dan Hooker uh, it would be that I'm one and three now in my last four and you probably need to, to get on the winning side of things in your next couple of bouts here after the losses to Dustin Poirier Michael Chandler and Israel Islam Makachev which which are you know, those are respectable losses. Those are as respectable as losses get in this sport. But you do need to put some green on the Wikipedia page if you're Dan Hooker in the next couple of fights. So that would be the thing that I would be concerned about. Uh, you know, I would probably think specifically about this fight that, yeah, I took a chance. I went for this opportunity. I made this money. I'm glad I will have the extra bucks in my pocket for the next couple of months. But now I need to get back to to business with my actual coaches, with my actual training camp. And I need to win a couple fights because then, uh, you know, then if if you like you said, if you're telling yourself you you're going to be the champ someday, you got to turn turn the ship around here. You got to write the write the course and uh, get back to the winning ways. So that's if I was Dan Hooker, that's what I would be concerned about at this point. Uh, although, just as a side note here, much like Kamzat Chimaev picking up Li Jingliang and carrying him carrying him across the octagon while talking to Dana White before you get slammed. Uh, it's got to kind of suck to get kamurred by Islam Mahachev while, while Habib Nurmagomedov is yelling encouragements to him through the chain link. You're yeah. right, up, right up in his corner and the greatest of all time is sitting there being like, yeah, tear that arm off or whatever yeah. he's saying in Russian. I don't have the translation, but I assume that's what it was. That, that was the spirit of the comment anyway. And yeah, yeah. it's not where you want to be is caught in a sandwich between Islam Mahachev and Khabib Nurmagomedov. I, yeah. No, not in any sense. Uh, this next question comes to us from Michael Misping, who has emailed yep. us a couple of times here mm -hmm. over the last couple mm -hmm. of weeks. He writes, 
what the actual fuck was going on with the officiating in the Dos Santos St. Denis fight. The only explanation in my mind is that the ref is actually just Mario Yamasaki in disguise as an old Russian man. I have never heard the commentary team so fired up at the official during a fight. Update, I'm sending this email as it was announced that this ref was removed from his next assignment. Damn, son. Cheers, guys. Uh, So this this was one that'll stick in the old memory banks here. Uh, Our guy Easy Dos Santos went out there and got a unanimous decision win over Benoit Saint-Denis a welterweight fight on the prelim card uh, on Saturday night. But this is a fight that is going to probably be remembered for all the wrong reasons. And that is that uh, your referee here, who's uh, probably I'm, I'm butchering the pronunciation of his name, but Vakislav Kisilev, uh, let Benoit Saint-Denis take an absolute hellacious beating down the stretch in this fight for about the second half of the second round and then most of the third round. Uh, well, the UFC broadcast team uh, lambasted this guy on uh, on the airwaves, r- rightly, I think, properly. I think that they, that they were right about this one. And if their commentary was to be believed, the rest of the referee staff, including Mark Goddard, uh, looked on with horror. But yeah. you let this guy get beat down for about seven minutes. Did you see, though, that noted MMA referee Jason Herzog jumped on social media to defend him. I didn't see that, but I kind of believe it because as I was going to say, as we talked about this, like this fight should have been stopped at some point, but it was also one of those weird deals where if you're going through your referee checklist in your mind and you're thinking about stepping in to stop it, I mean, Benoit St. Denis was doing all the stuff that as a fighter, you're supposed to do to keep your fight from getting stopped. He was firing back. He was popping up off the ground. He was staying busy. He was responding to the referee's cues and the things that he was asking him to do. He was doing all of those things. It was just that while he was doing it, he was getting his ass handed to him by yeah. Easy Dos Santos. So like I, my personal opinion, you should have stopped it. If you were the ref in there in the heat of the moment and Denny appears to be game and still going at it and get getting up off the mat and all the things you're asking him to do. I could also see how you would be like, I'm going to give him a little time here. You know, if it was only that, I would think, yeah, maybe there's a case that people got on this ref too much. But there were a few different weird things about how he was ref in this fight. Because for one thing, yeah. it's there's always the the tricky issue of when to stop it. And I'm sure you could argue that, hey, look at how St. Denis was still doing some stuff there in the third, wasn't absolutely getting his ass kicked anymore, so doesn't that prove that it was right, the right call not to stop it? And I, I, you know, I think sometimes that that gets you into some iffy logic, but it's also, you know, the, at one point, there's like an eye poke, and he clearly, he's communicating to the ref, it seems like, that he can't see. And the, yeah. the attitude there is like, well, okay, man, do the best you can out there. <laughs> Like just usually I can't see is where the fight ends. And especially when he's like pointing at his eye and kind of shaking his head and we're no, we don't get a doctor in there. We don't get a translator. We're not doing any of that stuff. We're just trying to get the fight restarted as quickly as possible. And then also then going to turn around and take a point away right away from easy dos Santos for an inadvertent groin shot. And you're just like, how are you overreacting and underreacting at, at all in the same fight? It's just, especially you combine all that with everybody thinking we basically know who the refs are in this sport. You're over there in Abu Dhabi, you see this guy and everybody's like, who the fuck is this guy? Also, it seems like he's not doing a great job. And so he gets, gets the hook right away here. Um, All around, not a great, 
outing for him. Yeah, and like uh, Benoit Saint Denis telling you that he couldn't see it was your get out of jail free card right yeah. there. If you're that ref, because you just you can call it right there. You yeah. Just say, guy told me he couldn't see. Honestly, they shouldn't have let him come out after the second round. Like I, I think that the referee and the 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 medical staff and probably his own corner at that point should have had a a a responsibility to this guy to come in and say, hey man, let's let's come back another day and do this again. Like this wasn't your time. Let's, let's do it some other time. That's to, for me, that's when they should have called it off, but they, you know, he, he ended up going the distance and loses the lopsided decision here to easy dos Santos. As I said, in a fight that when we think of it, we will not think of it probably because of either guy's performance. Yeah. And that that's a shame. All right. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern, you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to our website, comainevent.com, Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, perhaps the only bad thing about Glover Tashira versus Jan Blahovic is that one of these dudes had to lose this fight because Tashira and Blahovic are both real likable guys and kind of against all odds and unexpectedly have become leading men in this light heavyweight division, which is clearly a, an entirely different world now without John Jones lording at the top of it as he did for years and years. But in a sport where we don't get a ton of real, true, heartwarming, feel-good stories. Man, you gotta big up Glover Tashira this week for going out there 20 years in the game, 42 years old, his second UFC title shot, a guy who probably a long time ago we had all discounted as a person who had already shown us his best in the cage, and he gets the stoppage win to take the gold from Jan Blahovich, the new UFC light heavyweight champion, the likable Glover Tashira, and in a fight where, frankly, he kind of dominated from start to finish before getting the uh, the rear naked choke victory here in the second round to actually hang the banner and get the belt. We're sitting here on Monday, man. You've had a couple days to think about it. What strikes you first and foremost about this victory, about Glover Tashira's journey, and the fact that we are sitting here on this podcast, 475 episodes into this thing, talking about champion Glover Tashira. You know, I know some people are going to get hung up on, are we actually talking about the best light heavyweight in the world at this point? Because that's, it's sort of inevitable. 42-year-old guy who we've seen try and fail for the UFC title before, and now he's the champion, and in the absence of John Jones, this division just feels very different. And so people, I think, understandably are going to want to have that conversation. And if you're somebody like Scotty Cokes over there trying to make a case for you know your guy, Vadim Nemkov, as the best light heavyweight in the world, maybe stuff like this is good news. I would just like us to maybe admit that it doesn't always have to be the foremost thing on our minds. Especially... As we talked about a little bit on Friday, it has not always been the case that we could feel good about whoever was the champion at the UFC light heavyweight division. It has not always been 
a nice guy show over right. there in recent years. And here it really was. You know, both Glover and Jan Blahovich, just two good-natured competitors going in there, and you just you felt sort of good about the whole thing. Even Jan Blahovich after he loses, you know, he he takes a left hook upside the head. It's put down and choked out, and it's just kind of like, well, I left the Polish power in the hotel room. Guess he got me here. And you're like, man, just everybody is being pretty cool about this. The person being least cool about it, honestly, is John Jones on Twitter. And you knew that was going to happen too, where he's going to jump on there and want to talk a whole bunch of shit about it. And to the predictable replies, especially given his recent legal history. And Yet, I think, like, here's where the fight game gives us these opportunities, if we're willing to take it, where we can just sort of sit back for a minute and just appreciate how good it must feel for somebody like Glover and how we can feel good on his behalf, especially when he's out there talking about how, you know, I always thought about how what it would be like to win a title and what I'd feel like waking up the next day, and it's better than I thought. Like, it's really yeah. good. And you're like, man, that's just... How do you not feel happy for the guy? It's just a like a story of resilience um, and overcoming some difficult stuff to get there. And he performed really well. Like he came out there, put Jan Blahovich down early, was working the goddamn can opener, Chad. Yeah, he was, you know what he was doing there? He's playing to his demographic. 42-year-old Glover <laughs> Tashira is out there trying to work the can opener. Like for us, for the old heads, he's like, hey, remember this? Remember the can opener? Yeah. Remember when motherfuckers used to win fights with the can opener? Remember in the Pride video game when Igor Vovchanchin could submit you with a can opener? Like, sure, let's just go ahead and, and show people that maybe these old techniques still have a, a place in MMA. He wallops Jan Blahovich with a really good left hook. That sends him kind of spiraling a little bit there. And I'll admit that first when I saw the actual finish the first time saw it live, I thought, that's a quick tap from Jan Blahovich. And I it made me yeah. wonder like if he was injured. They, they I think they speculated about the broadcast too. Like, does he have some kind of injury and that's why he was ready to get out of there. And then when you see it on replay, you from a different angle, you realize, no, he was just under that chin, man. Like he just he does not need a whole lot of openings or a whole lot of time to finish that choke once you give him that position. Like I realize he doesn't look like a spectacular athlete, maybe doesn't blow you away getting off the bus. But Glover Teixeira is really fucking good. That man's about his business. Yeah, and he's got—he's one of these guys who knows who he is, knows what his skills are, knows how to utilize him, and like at this point, kind of excels at getting the fight to the place where he can use those skills. And that's what he did uh, against Anthony Smith. That's what he did in this fight against uh, Yanni Blackjacks. And now he's the UFC light heavyweight champion. And at least for today, I'm totally unconcerned with historical significance or who is the best light heavyweight in the world. I'm just feeling good for Glover Tashira, who, like I said at the top, is one of these guys who is, is one of the few characters in this sport that it seems like everybody can kind of agree on, that we are all feeling good for this guy today. And that's enough for the time being, especially in today's UFC world. Uh, where sometimes it feels like we're we're looking around for the the good stories, the stuff that we can feel good about, the stuff that reinforces uh, how much we like this sport and how much we attention, how much attention we pay to it. And I think Glover Teixeira is that guy today, uh, and I'm excited for him. And as as the f the furthest that I am willing to look ahead in the future at this point is to talk about who he should fight next, and to to mention uh, that when Chuck Liddell was knocked off the top of the light heavyweight mountain, it kind of ushered in this era 
where for a while it felt as though like everyone, like the Stanley Cup, got to take the belt home for a night, right? We went through this situation where you had Rampage Jackson and Forrest Griffin, Rashad Evans, Lyoto Machida, uh, Shogun Hua, all had very short stints with the title. And then John Jones came along and put the thing on lock for 1,500 days or whatever it was. Uh, so... Uh, the, the the only the only thing that I'm willing to say about the future or the the uh, the as worried the thing that I'm admit that I'll be a little worried about here is if we get into a situation where you're basically playing round robin with the belt at 205, which at that point I think is is maybe not great for the division for a division that had been the UFC's marquee division for much of its history. But for today, today, man, I'm just happy. I'm just happy that Glover Teixeira is the champ. I think that we should all just feel good for him. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying that sometimes it feels like that is not great, but it's also maybe just part of the cycle, right? Whenever you have a dominant champion and finally gets either knocked off or moves on to a different division that the, it's suddenly wide open, and that's one of the fun things about it. And then we get to a point where maybe it's not so fun anymore, but like, I think it happens that way for a reason, and it's not necessarily the worst thing. Yeah. Right now, you got uh, Yuri Prochazka is your probably your number one contender at this point. If we don't think about a rematch of some kind, I don't know if there's been any talk of that. Uh, Alexander Rakic also on that list, and of course, Magomed Ankalev, uh, who also got a win uh, recently here is, is climbing up that, that list as well. So if you want to look at uh, immediate potential title contenders for Glover Tashira, those are probably your three dudes right out the gate. Yeah. I mean, I think you're looking at Yuri P as your guy and, you know, Glover even mentioned him. Do you, do you see the shot of Yuri in the crowd where usually, you know, it's one of those moments where you're like, okay, let's talk about the guy who's going to be the next contender. And he's sitting right there front row, like just a few feet away from the cage this one, I couldn't really tell from the camera angle, but it seemed like maybe his seats weren't quite that good. <laughs> like maybe we had to go back there a few rows to find Yuri. But he's sitting there and just because he's just surrounded by people like in the crowd, when they cut to him, it, it does seem like, oh, it's just a really in shape spectator with interesting hair for a second. Yeah. And then you realize, like, yeah. oh, that's him. That's the guy we're talking about. But like, I mean, you tell me. Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prochaska for the, the title. Fuck yeah, that seems like a good time, man. I watched yeah. the shit out of that fight. Hashtag would watch Yuri Prochaska, a delightful weirdsmobile. So yeah, I would love to see him fight Glover Teixeira for the title. All right, let's do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we can move on uh, to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, you mentioned, you know, this one had a morning start time. I believe it started around 8.30 a.m. here in the One True Time Zone on Saturday. I was delighted by that. I, you know, walked the dog down, got a got a coffee and a donut down the street, came back here, time to watch some fights. I was really enjoying it. You know, second bout or third bout in, uh, maybe it was. I'm watching uh, Lerone Murphy here, the miracle up against mm-hmm. Mr. Finland, Makwana Mirakani, still in possession of one of the greatest tapology profile photos of all time, if you want to go look that one up. And he lands just a, a one-hitter-quitter knee just right as Makwan is shooting in on him and puts him to sleep with that one knee strike and afterwards gets on the mic and is like hey, doing the whole Hey Dana, 50 Gs, baby, kind of thing. And I'm watching it at home and I'm going, yeah, man, fuck yeah. And then I'm going, wait a minute. Isn't this one of those fight cards with a ton of fucking fights on it? And aren't you just the third fight in? And maybe isn't there a good chance Dana White isn't even watching yet? And sure enough, 
the bonuses come down. This guy uh, had really one of the only knockouts on the card. The, the only other knockout was uh, Michael Alexiak with uh, Shamil Gamzatov. Nailed it. Uh, but this was the only one where it was just like that one-shot, clean-as-hell knockout on the entire card. Still doesn't get one of the bonuses when they come through. We got performance yeah. of the night to Glover Teixeira and, and Kamzat Chmeyev. You can understand both of those. Fight of the night to Peter Jan and Corey Sandhagen. That makes sense, too. But, man, sometimes it doesn't feel like these guys, you could do great fucking work on the prelims, and by the time we get to the main event, they, they, people would have just completely forgotten what you did. Yeah. And... Chances are, if you're fighting on those prelims, you're one of the guys who will really notice that additional $50,000 in your life. I'm not saying that Glover Teixeira uh, didn't even care about having an extra 50 Gs added on there, but he just won the title. He's been in the UFC a long time, probably making pretty good money. Uh, Going to be making better money now with the belt around his waist. The 50 Gs is a make or break for him. For prelim fighters we've seen, sometimes it's the difference between, you know, Breaking even on with the cost of your training camp and what you're getting paid and actually having a little bit of money going forward. Are you fucking kidding me? It just kind of highlights what a rough life it is because this guy, he did exactly the stuff you'd expect to have to have to do if you're going out there trying to win a bonus at a UFC event. But because he does it on the prelims, third fight in, no dice, man. Fucking yeah. kidding me. Fucking kidding me. It's almost like the incentive-based post-fight bonus system is bullshit all the way around. Yeah. Almost. Almost like there's better stuff you could do with that money if you wanted to. Uh, in, in any case, Ben, uh, we talked last week about Mr. Fedor going out here and getting we a did. big win over Tim Johnson. Uh, he is back in the news this week talking about Dana White on a uh, Russian language television show here. He says, money means everything to him. This is Fedor talking about Dana White. He has no respect towards fighters, no respect for any human being, only money and that's all. So Dana White obviously gets asked about this this week, UFC 267 post-fight scrum. His quote is here, I'm reading this from uh, Damon Martin's story over on MMA Fighting. He says, first of all, I don't even know Fedor, White says. Fedor doesn't know me. We met one time. So first of all, you fucking kidding me, dude? <laughs> we all kind of know you at this point, man. Yeah, we all know you and we all know Fedor. <laughs> Here's Dana again. His statement was, I was all about the money. He should have been more about the money when we made that offer, wherever the fuck we were, whatever island we were on, and you wouldn't still be fighting when you're 45 years old. Ben, the combined age of the two fighters in the main event of this UFC, UFC 267, the very night that Dana White is talking about this, was 80 years old. <laughs> 42-year-old Glover Tashira and 38-year-old Yanni Blackjacks just fought for the title. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? We just saw this. And you're going to like pick on Fedor for fighting at 45? Come on, man. You fucking kidding me? Also, I thought the old line of reasoning Dana White used was that the reason Fedor didn't sign with the UFC then was because of greed. Because his shady Russian managers wanted more than the USC was offering. Now he's saying, like, your problem is you weren't greedy enough or you would have taken our offer and then you yeah. would have retired on that money. I mean, but the it is the, the killer line for me is talking about, like, Fedor doesn't know me. And you're like, yeah. man, you've been extremely public 
figure for 15 fucking years as the head of the UFC, making blogs about your life constantly, all this kind of, like, we have a pretty good sense at this mm-hmm. point. A lot of people yeah. can do the you don't really know me kind of thing, but I think we all get a, a pretty good sense that there's not an extremely different version of Dana White in public and private. Right. From, from what well, we've no, seen nobody at this thinks point. that there's a hidden Dana White somewhere. It's like <laughs> also, his private Dana White. You know who he would probably admit does know him a little bit is Anderson Silva. And Anderson Silva said almost these same exact things after his exit from the UFC about Dana White, that he doesn't respect the fighters, that he only cares about money, uh, and that he, he doesn't exp- respect them as human beings. And it's like, well, Anderson seems like maybe he knows you a little bit. Maybe you got a chance to get to know you. He seems like he con- he concurs with Fedor. What do you make of that? Yeah, a, a guy who also took some UFC deals and is still out here fighting. How about that? mid forties. You fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. All right, that's gonna do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad. I got to about midway through round five in this interim bantamweight title fight between Peter Yan and Corey Sandhagen, and I believe I may have remarked out loud at the TV, man, Peter Yan's fucking good. He's just really fucking good, Chad. Yeah. Hey, Corey Sandhagen, especially early on, fought a pretty smart fight. And was using a lot of his strengths the way we thought that he might against Peter Yan. But it's like as the fight goes on and Peter Yan really finds his rhythm and settles into a fight. Like fourth round Peter Yan is some scary ass shit, man. He starts chaining stuff together. He is out here just basically doing some kung fu movie shit to you. Where he's just mixing in with his punching combos, spinning kicks and spinning back fists and landed them. Just landed him and on a good fighter who had a pretty good game plan, it seemed, at least early on in the fight. I go after this fight and I'm thinking, he seemed like he was on his way to winning right before he lost in that Aljamain Sterling fight by just you know getting a little, a little too creative outside the unified rules. He goes out here against a really good dude in Corey Sandhagen and looks awesome doing it. I I sure he will come in as a pretty good favorite when he rematches Aljamain Sterling if that fight is able to happen. Like in a really competitive division where we've seen people kind of struggle lately to put together prolonged success, Peter Yan seems like he really has what it takes to hold this shit down for a while. Yeah, he's good just to start. And then he gets better as the fight goes, which is kind of scary. It's supposed to work the other way around. You're supposed to get tired. Peter Yan is out here seemingly uh, with a cyber cybernetic brain uh, processing information and making adjustments mid fight and is better in the fourth and fifth rounds than he was at the start. And he's out there throwing spinning wheel kicks at the buzzer, just like. Just as just to just as a flex, kind of just like oh, I'm not tired here. Have a have a spinning kick as we wrap up 25 minutes of pretty fast pace men's bantamweight action. Uh, the, the 135 pound division is a goddamn shark tank right now, so it's not like I want to get ahead of myself talking about about Peter Yawn, but it does kind of 
he is one of these guys where you where you look at him and you're like, who's going to beat this guy? Who on the list is, is going to be up for, for beating this guy? Because Corey Sandhagen also fought his damn guts out, fought a yeah. great fight, looked good throughout, didn't fade through a bazillion strikes, I think, was the, was the official stat. Yeah, and that's he how still, the number came in, one bazillion. Still didn't get it done. Still couldn't get it done. Still got edged. Still lost all but one round, I think, according to the official scorecards to Peter Yan, who is... Uh, fast as shit, technically advanced, seemingly has a fi- a high fight IQ, makes adjustments in the fight, gets better as it goes, and is also just kind of mean. Yeah. Like he has that mean streak that you need to be really good in this fight, in the fight game, where it's like, oh, yeah, like I don't mind slipping in an, uh, like a hard-ass elbow just on the break because it was there. Like, yeah, that's, that's part of my shit. That's part of my skills right there. It's just like... Doesn't seem to mind doing it, let's just say, which in this line of work is a positive. Well, yeah, and you could just see that in some of these exchanges where Corey Sandigan, he's trying to move, he's trying to just continually touch Peter Jan, and Jan is at some points maybe having a little bit more trouble finding him and getting him to stand still long enough, but like is quick enough and just can crack. It's, yeah. uh, there's a couple of these exchanges in this fight where you're seeing Corey Sanhagen be like, okay, I'm just going to reach out there and tag him a little bit, like not loading up on anything. Boom, boom, boom. Move, Keep the feet moving. Boom, boom, boom. And then Peter Jan just comes back and is like, all right, well, here's two extremely hard punches in return that seem to have way more of an impact than anything you just did in the previous 15 to 20 seconds. And so it made me wonder, too, when Corey Sandigan's getting off the stool for to head into round five, you can hear his corner being like, we don't have to hit him hard. Like, let's just touch him. And it's like, man, that's kind of what you've been doing. And it's not working. And yet... What else would you advise him to do? Let's go power for power with Peter Yon? Because that doesn't seem like a great idea. You know, he's trying to use his range, trying to get that that jumping knee that he likes to get people with since they will sometimes just end up putting their head right in range for it. But you just can't really do anything to keep him from coming at you. And then when he does decide to let go, you could tell Corey Sanhagen is feeling those shots. I mean, he, he fought well and gutted through some tough moments there of his own. But damn, it just there's not a whole lot of openings for you against this guy. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty compelling case right now for for Peter Yan. You guess it seemed, you know, as you said in the uh, potato index over on the comainevent.com this week, seems like you got to get to this guy early if you're going to get to him at all. And that in and of itself is easier said than done. Uh, yeah. So it's 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 going to be interesting to watch all of this. I think develop at at men's bantamweight and one of the uh unknowns at this point we still don't have a real good uh sense of is what is going to happen with all jermaine sterling's neck he's coming off the the surgery uh it did look like peter yawn was doing the peter yawn thing in their fight where he had had some some trouble early but was starting to stack up points kind of as that fight went on and it seemed like maybe he was going to be cruising toward a decision win there uh but i still would like to see it I still want to see those two guys fight again, uh, assuming that Aljamain Sterling is able to return and able to return at the top of his game. I still won't reject that fight. I think it's one that you got to have, obviously, to unify the title and also uh, just a, a good matchup of styles anyway. But you just look around the, the bantamweight rankings, and, and while it is one of the more competitive divisions in the UFC, it's also uh, hard to put your finger on somebody where you're like, yes, this is the person who will come along and dethrone Peter Yan. I mean, did the wind just whisper Henry Cejudo? Yeah, where, where's he at? You know where he's at. He's he's at home waiting for the phone to ring. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, if you're Aljamain Sterling, you have to know that the clock is ticking right now, right? 
because as much as the UFC would like to have you come back so we can say we're having the the title unification fight, the rematch, there's bad blood after disqualification in the, in the first one, they'd love to sell that and everything. But they also, it's not like the UFC has ever seemed like totally in love with Aljamain Sterling to begin with. Peter Yan is definitely an exciting fighter who people are, are pumped about. They just put this belt back on him in interim form, made a big deal about putting the stones back. But adding another stone to it, Chad, I don't know if you saw that, yeah. the, the official mm-hmm. jeweler of the UFC. Official licensed jeweler of the UFC. Going to add another stone up in there. Um, you have to know, if you're Aljamain Sterling, as a student of this game, that they're only going to give you so long to say, okay, I'm ready. Let's book this rematch and get in there and do it. Before they just decide, mm, we've, we're just going to go ahead and remove the interim from that the name of Peter Jan's title, like it'll just disappear from the website one day, <laughs> and it just be he'll he'll just be the bantamweight champ, and you will just have a, a giant ass paperweight, and yeah. and they will just act like well that's how it goes. We had to move on. Like they're not going to give you a a ton of time to get in there and and settle this thing. So you you got to kind of know that, and that puts some pressure on you, especially when the holdup is really stuff that to some extent is sort of out of your control. Yeah, and and it's it's a, it's a bummer for all Jermaine Sterling, man, who is uh, a good dude from for all everything that we know about him, and like obviously a really talented fighter was not his fault the way that their first fight ended. It's not really his fault that he's that he's now got this injury that is uh, a bummer and a bastard to return from that he just had to have this surgery, and. It you're right that it doesn't feel like anybody is really sweating bullets for him to return, right? And that's it's kind of a a bad beat for Aljamain Sterling. So I hope he is able to come back. I hope that he is able to uh, return at some high level and that we get to see this fight again because I think it would be a good one in the 135 pound division. Uh, so it's one that I still hope that we get to see. Uh, I know that this uh, pay per view or numbered UFC event was over in Abu Dhabi, so you're going to get a lot of uh, Russian fighters. You're going to have a, a spotlight kind of on the on the Russian fighters here. Uh, you just run down the card, the main card of UFC 267. Magomed Ankalev got a win. Kamzat Jabayev got a win. Alexander Volkov got a win. Islam Makachev got a win. Peter Yan got a win. But are we are we on the verge of a Russian takeover here? Are the Russians going to take over? Are we we fast forward a couple years and we're going to have four or five Russian champions in the UFC? I mean, is there a real clear reason to think that it will be so different than what we saw when it seemed like there was a Brazilian takeover of the U.S.? Right, like it it happens in in uh, like an evolutionary process. It happens in cycles. And are we on the verge of a Russian cycle here? Are the Russians about to take over this shit? I mean, I've felt like at various points we've been on the verge of a Russian cycle, and I guess it just depends how many you feel like you need before you can call it a cycle. But I would also point out. I did a story years ago where uh, a coach from, who I believe was from Dagestan, or he was from somewhere in the Caucasus region, and he was making the point that what people were calling a Russian takeover is a little bit more complex than that. And like that you see some fighters where it's like, okay, this guy's from Moscow or St. Petersburg or something like that, but that a lot of what we had previously regarded as a potential Russian takeover 
was Caucasus fighters. It was it was a little bit more like confined to that than it was just like the entirety of the the landmass of Russia. That it was maybe sure. more like Dagestani fighters, Chechen fighters, stuff like that. And I mean, as always with a sport like mixed martial arts, one of the things that always factors into it is where are they learning the skills that are going to come in handy in a sport that requires such diverse skills as mixed martial arts that we've talked before where when there would be every time there's a good British fighter, somebody's being like, Oh, but he's going to have to do some catch up when it comes to wrestling because they're just not teaching wrestling well enough over there. But then that changes over time, right? Like people, people make those adjustments. But I I think that a lot of the, what you're seeing now is you're seeing like a lot of fighters who come in there and they're like, well, I, like Khabib, I was wrestling a bear when I was a child, and that turned out to be a pretty good base for MMA, man. Yeah. Especially when you know, it's like your Khabib or your Islam Makachev or something, where you're like, I or, or Kamzat Jamaev, where you're like, I come in, I do this thing, everybody knows that I do it, but they can't fucking stop it. Like that's that's a lot of ground to have to make up for everybody else. Yeah. If you told me that we were going to fast forward 18 months and Peter Yan, Islam Makachev, Kamzat Jamaev, and Magomed Ankalev were all champs. I wouldn't really be that surprised. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. time the ufc did numbered events on back-to-back weeks was but here we go ufc 267 the ink barely dry on the results and we are headed back stateside to madison square garden new york city to pull off ufc 268 on november 6th of course the main event as i said at the top of the show a rematch between kamara usman and colby covington the co-main a rematch for the women's strawweight title between Rose Namajunas and Zhang Wiley. Uh, you also have a, a decent little main card here. Justin Gaethje about to fight Michael Chandler. Shane Burgos going to fight Billy Q. And uh, Frankie Edgar going to fight Marlon Vera. That is all of your uh, pay-per-view card. Uh, this is, you know, it's, it's not every week we get to say this, man. It's not every week we, we, we get to go back to back with the UFC with two cards that seem pretty good and, and pretty vital. Of course, they gave us UFC 267 for free. We're going to have to probably shell out some bucks for UFC 268, but I ain't complaining. I will not complain that we have back-to-back fight cards in the hashtag just some fights era that actually feel like we're going to find some shit out, get some shit done, and see some good fights between a bunch of people that that we recognize and have feelings about. Yeah, just those top three fights alone make that a, a better pay-per-view than a lot of the stuff that the UFC has offered up in the last couple of years. I mean, the the two rematches, the two title fight rematches, I could see how you make a case with both of them that like, hey, maybe we didn't need this one right away. We didn't need this one right now. Um, but they were both still like, I mean, Rosenam Yunus and, and Zhang Wiley was an interesting matchup. I could see how you could say like, okay, we wanted to see a little bit more of that just to be sure. Um, and Colby Covington was the person who's been most competitive against Kamaru Usman uh, in his championship reign so fine let's go ahead and do that again and maybe if Kamar Usman smashes him we could be done with the Colby Covington gimmick for a while which wouldn't be the worst thing and also I mean Justin Gacy versus Michael Chandler is a give it to me it's mine kind of fight no matter Mm -hmm. what it's for or where you put it like that's just an action fun ass fight 
Yeah. Uh, Colby Covington, as you mentioned, still just in his early 30s, seems like he's been annoying us for years. Uh, <laughs> he's fought just one time since his loss to Kamara Usman, which was back at UFC 245 in December of 2019. He got the TKO injury win over Tyron Woodley in September of last year at a fight night event, just as Tyron Woodley was scooting out the door to go, uh, you know, get I love Jake Paul tattooed on his finger. Uh, uh, Kamaru Usman, uh, by comparison, has fought three times, defended his title since then, uh, wins over Jorge Masvidal, Gilbert Burns, and Jorge Masvidal, in that order, Masvidal sandwich there around Gilbert Burns. I don't know that we have any reason to believe that the outcome here will be any different, and maybe even reason to suspect that this will be a more lopsided win for Kamaru Usman, but I guess we could be surprised. That's why they have the fights. Uh, and if I'm Colby Covington, I got to keep winning so they don't make me fight Kamzat Shemaev next, man, because I could <laughs> see that. I could see that being one that they wanted to do. And uh, yeah, got to get that gold. Got to keep the wolf from the door. I don't know. Or maybe if you do get the gold, it just dooms you to fight Kamzat Shemaev. Yeah, there's probably no way out of it for Colby Covington at this point. Do you expect anything different here from the the first go round with these two guys? Just based on what we've seen lately, to the extent that I expect a different fight, I expect it to be more one-sided in favor of Kamar Usman. He's just looked like he is getting better and better, and that he is just more dangerous now than he was then. And Colby Covington, meanwhile, like you don't see that he has that sort of one-shot power to put you away. It seems like he is still relying on weaponized pace, which works. Like yeah. he, he does it well. And he, he has been able to use that really well against some other people. But Kamar Usman might be the worst possible matchup to try to do that against right now in the welterweight division. So I, I, I think Usman wins it, and I think it's probably a little less competitive than it was last time. You know what I was surprised to see, though, looking at this fight card, Chad? What's that? Your dude Edmund Shabazian mm-hmm. is on this yeah. one. We were just talking about him last week. Doesn't it seem like... Before it was Edmund Shabazian is fight night main event kind of quality. The the UFC is excited about it and wanted to put him in this position to be seen by a lot of people and, and have some success. And then he loses that you know he he had that loss to Derek Brunson. He had lost to uh, it was Gerald Mearshart uh, that came back there and and exposed a little bit of the ground game. It was uh, singing and dancing Jack Hermanson. That's who it was. It was singing and dancing Jack Hermanson. Sorry, I, I, but after after that one, it seemed like okay. Now you're kind of stuck on the prelims and we're not even really mentioning your name leading up to the fight. You're just another guy who's there. Oh, my guy, the news is worse. It's even worse than that for Edwin Shabazian, whose role, by the way, we had to slow considerably after those back-to-back losses. Uh, You went from being the next big thing, the new hotness in the UFC, to fighting on the prelims, Ben, against a 25-year-old Dagestani dude whose name is Nasruddin Imavov. And who comes in as the betting favorite. Here. Yeah, he's not. He's 9-3 and three overall, lost a majority decision to Phil Haas uh, back in February of this year. But then who's also on this card. But yeah. Ian Heinish in his, in his next appearance. Anytime they call you up and they say, hey, man, uh, we know you're kind of a known entity. How do you feel about taking on an unknown 25-year-old Dagestani guy on the prelims? <laughs> I, would, I mean, I would have some questions for my manager at that point. They're kind of being like, we have another Edmund Shabazian in mind. We've decided mm-hmm. to pivot 
and you are no longer the Edmund Shabazian. He he could potentially be our next Edmund Shabazian. We'd like you to fight him so we can ha- find out, you know? Yeah. We've taken the temperature in the room, and it seems like perhaps we're pivoting toward the Caucasus Mountains. <laughs> Not a great sign. Not a great sign. Uh, uh, what, what's, I mean, okay, so this was supposed to be the one where Sean Strickland was going to fight Luke Rockholt, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, but then I think they had Sean Strickland had to be uh, institutionalized, if I'm not mistaken. That's why they couldn't do that fight. He is, that is in a straitjacket at this moment. That is incorrect. Oh, he has, okay. He has broken out of Arkham Asylum, but uh, Luke Rockhold, uh, in a classic old man move, bad back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Luke Rockhold heard about the the breakout, the asylum breakout. And was like, <laughs> oh, you know, when the weather gets cold in the fall, uh, my back stiffens up. I'm not going to be able to make the date after all. Well, it's a shame. I mean, that that was would have been a really nice addition to this fight card, um, and that we couldn't get a, a replacement opponent in there for Sean Strickland. I don't know, man. That 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 could have really bumped it up to some really must see TV. Although, uh, again, just the the three fights alone. Plus, I know you're excited about your guy, old man Edgar, going to roll up in here. I mean, yeah, it's always a, a situation with Frankie Edgar now where you're a little worried when you see him on the fight card. I hope that uh, that we can all just come out of this one feeling good about ourselves. Uh, but, uh, you know, Justin Gaethje against Michael, Michael Chandler is obviously a hell of a fight. Going to be excited for that one. And I don't want to totally give short shrift to Rose Namajunas versus Zhang Wiley either, despite the fact that uh, neither one of those women has fought anybody else since the last time they they squared off. So it's going to be an immediate rematch of sorts and kind of a weird one when you consider how uh, definitive the end result was in their first fight. But if I'm not mistaken, you could tell me if you disagree with that. If there's a, a title fight on this card that you feel like could easily go the other way yeah. than they had on the first one. Uh, it's Nama Yunus versus Zhang Wiley. No disrespect to Rose, who obviously is, is very talented and everybody uh, uh, likes her pretty well around these parts. But like, you know, you just don't know if she if she could beat Zhang Wiley again or Zhang Wiley could come in, have a better showing and and take that title back. I think it's 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 in, to my mind kind of a push at this point or I'm yeah. sorry, trying to have a pick them. Kind of a tough one after you get less than a minute and a half of action in that one. But then if she does, if, if Zhang Wiley comes here, gets the title back. Are we doing it again, brother? I mean, you'd have to, wouldn't you? I don't know. I mean, that's when you risk the audience getting a little fed up with it. If you're like, okay, here we go. Especially because it's like, when you look at, at Rose's record, where it's like, Yoanna Yinjaychik, then Yoanna Yinjaychik, then Jessica Andrade, then Jessica Andrade, then Zhang Wiley, and now again, Zhang Wiley. You're going like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, can, she ever, can we just get something else? You know, like, I think you, you you run the risk of just getting people to think that every time they show up to see a fight in this division, it's, you know, basically a, a rerun of what we've already seen. Yeah, but at the same time, if you're Rose and you won the, the fight via head kick the first time and they turn around, made you fight Zhang Wiley again immediately. If you lose this one, aren't you a little bit like, uh, OK, well. Is turnabout not fair play here? Do I get the same? Oh, yeah, fair play. That's what would guide the UFC's decisions. Hey, man, you don't know Dana White. <laughs> you don't know this man. Got a pretty good sense by now, I think, honestly. You know, when you're Dana White, it really is kind of a, a, it's a signal of the kind of life you lead that you can't remember what island resort you were on when you talked to Fedor. <laughs> I don't know. We were on one of these islands that I frequent. I can't remember which one it was. Just on one of some these, island. One of these secret islands that we all travel to, to in order to make a business deal. <laughs> all right. Let's do just saying stuff, Ben. And uh, 
and then we're going to get out of here for this week. Did you see this back and forth on the Twitter machine between Daniel Cormier and Justin Gaethje? Yeah. Yeah. So so Cormier goes out there. He says, give Islam Mahachev the title fight. I don't even need to see who wins next week. This dude just killed it. Uh, Habib said this was his MSG moment, and boy, he did uh, did he not deliver. He's going to be the champ. Gaethje responds, suck it harder, DC, which is <laughs> cuts straight to the point of that yeah. one, right? And Succinct, then, uh, you know? They kind of go back and forth here. Daniel Cormier says, I can't fight you, but Islam can be my guy. You just go and do what you do next week. Uh, you may be safe. I'm not sure, champ. Uh, the Jay's, uh, Gagey says, you brought my name up, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, Cormier comes back with with some stuff here. And, and I, I mean, I love Daniel Cormier. I love his work on the mic. He was one of my favorite fighters during his UFC tenure. I thought he was a great uh, two-division champ there. I'm just saying, though. It's a little weird when you're on the broadcast team. We know that Habib is your guy. We know that your teammates with Habib. It's a little weird when the cameras catch you hugging Islam Mahachev in the cage right before you're supposed to interview him as a, uh, you know, reportedly as a as a broadcaster, if not a journalist, but, you know, gonna about to interview this guy and then, you know, camera catches you hugging him. We know that you're best bros with Habib. And then you you jump on your socials and you're like, give this guy the title shot. I don't know. It's, I'm just saying it's a weird look, man. It's a little bit of a weird look. I'm not saying people can't have opinions. I'm not even really criticizing Daniel Cormier because I do like his work. I think he's good at it. But it's a little weird to do that. I'm just saying. Just saying. It must feel for Daniel Cormier. It feels like after, like every Monday, whatever it was he's been saying in and around uh, the UFC event over the weekend has somebody mad at him? Yeah, he, he's well, but maybe again, finding this out like, this life as a uh, a commentator on the sport is not all roses, you know? Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the welcome to the media game, Daniel Cormier. Uh, it, but it's like it's one of the risks you run when you have so many either current or or freshly retired fighters working your broadcast booths. Is that you're going to have these various kind of conflicts of interest where. Uh, your buddy's fighter is going out there and, and winning a fight, and it's just it puts you in a weird spot, man. Puts you in a weird spot. It does. Well, Chad, my just saying stuff this week. I'm just saying, you guys are getting a little weird with this Hezbollah stuff. Yeah, it's pretty. It's it's one of those things that again, it just makes you question: Are you are you watching a real sport? Are you watching a real sport, or are you watching some sideshow stuff right now? I mean, I get especially because it keeps I keep seeing him referred to as a social media star. But it also seems like, you know, the the Dagestani fighters and everything, they they seem to to love having him around, but it also seems like they're kind of treating him like a mascot a little bit. Yeah, like, it's weird. It's not like it's not like they're it's not like a guy who's been dealt a, a tough hand by life so we're here to support him and like, you know, right. make his dreams come true and all this stuff. It's more like you know, it's it's cringier than that, especially because at several points when they're sort of like celebrating with him and there's like grabbing him and picking him up or petting him on the head. And especially because it's just like when we're, we're showing him uh, in his beef with whatever, whoever the dude is where he's beefing. And it seems like the joke that that some people can't get enough of is. He's angry and uh, willing to be as violent as any of the rest of us, except very small. Isn't that hilarious? Mm-hmm. And I'm just going, man, I, you, you guys are really not, not tired of this bit yet, huh? 
He is really just, just doubling down. And let me tell you something, Chad. God forbid you say something on social media like, this is getting weird, you guys. Because there's a whole lot of people who seem to think that this whole bit is the most hilarious fucking thing they've ever seen. And that is a hill they will die on. They will yeah. not even hear the, the whole thing being criticized by anyone. I'm just saying, you guys are getting a little weird with it, man. Mm-hmm. You're getting yeah. a little bit weird. It's been weird for a while now. Just saying. Just saying. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Remember, we're going to be over on the Patreon page all week doing our stuff, doing all of our fun stuff that everyone loves, and you should join in and listen along to it and give us the pittance of money that we want for it. You should do that. That's something you should do. I'm assuming you're asleep pittance. right now and I'm speaking directly to your subconscious mind, but you should log on the Patreon and give us the money that we ask for. Dollar a month. There. What's that? It's not even money. Patreon.com slash co-main event. See, Thanks for listening, sound- everybody. We'll be back uh, next week with the proper breakdown, all the stuff that happens at UFC 268. As for right now, though, we're done. We are through. We are out. See this? I think we should move full time into this field. We do, we market those like, we'll help you get back to sleep kind of audio things, right? Yeah, but then, once you are asleep, you just whisper subconscious messages to give us your own. Yeah, speaking of things, you know, Like as soon as you start whispering, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes. It's like sometimes when we're recording this show and we're doing